with the scripture reading from this morning's message. It comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This is the story of Jesus that's known as the Good Samaritan. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Well, yeah, as the introduction said, my name is Travis. I am the associate pastor at Neighborhood Church, another church in town, and I'm really excited to be here uh, today. I'm a friend of your pastor, Chelsea. We meet often throughout the year, and I heard that she was on sabbatical, and so when I was asked, I was happy to come and uh, hopefully be a blessing to, to you guys who are here gathered here today. Uh, It struck me as I was preparing for today how great it is to live during a time where people from different churches can come together, different faith traditions can come together, and even share a message with other churches. It's the way it ought to be, and so today we get to put a little bit of church unity into practice. Now, as a pastor, I spend most of my time talking to a congregation that knows me really well, and I know we heard a brief bio of who I am, but I'd like to share a little bit more about me so that you have a little glimpse into who I am. As I I look around the room, I I do see a few familiar faces here today, which is great. Uh, Most notably, Jan, who has been leading worship, who's my wife's aunt. It's very cool that it was her leading worship today. That was very touching to see. But a little bit about me. Uh, I am the pastor at Neighborhood Church. I've been there for almost five years. As was mentioned, I also grew up in that church as a teenager. And uh, the years between growing up and serving as pastor were spent in the mainland, uh, in Abbotsford for four years, where I went to Bible college, and then in Vancouver, where I studied at Regent College. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, so I love the Blue Jays, I love the BC Lions, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, which may or may not make me popular with you. Uh, I also get to combine my uh, love of spirituality and my love of sports by serving as the chaplain of the Nanaimo Clippers hockey team, which is a very interesting ministry to do as well. Uh, I have a wonderful family. 
you can see up there uh, my wife Whitney and Lydia is our two-year-old. She turned two in May and Evangeline is four. Uh, she goes by the name Evie and she has the cool fact about herself that she was born on February 29th. So she's a leap year baby, which is pretty cool. Uh, another reason why I jumped at the chance to be with you here this morning is because of how invaluable Christ Community Church has been to the refugee sponsorship that we have uh, partaken in. Uh, we have sponsored a three-generation family from Eritrea, and there is a grandmother named Jamila, mother named Fatima, and two children. The oldest daughter is named Jamila as well. We call her Gila. And Kedija is the youngest daughter, and she goes by Kika. Uh, refugee sponsorship is something that I care about deeply, and it's something that I believe that the church living in this time and this place ought to care about as well. I think it's one of these amazing things because it flows very naturally out of our identity as followers of Jesus. Uh, Jesus gave his followers uh, two basic commands that summarize everything. And that's love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, today we are going to be looking at the second of those commands, the command to love your neighbor. And we're going to think of, uh, first of all, we're going to think about all the ways that we try to avoid putting love your neighbor into practice. And then secondly, we're going to think about what loving your neighbor actually looks like from Jesus' point of view. And along the way, we'll discover three basic things about loving your neighbor from a Jesus point of view. And that is that first, any human being in need is to be considered our neighbor. Second, as individual believers and as members of individual communities, we all have specific callings to specific people. And third, we will learn how even though loving your neighbor comes at a cost, the benefit, the blessing that we receive makes it worth it. So we begin with the story of the Good Samaritan. It begins with this back and forth between Jesus and one of these religious experts. One of those people that Jesus had frequent run-ins with. The religious expert begins by asking a pretty simple question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In those days, that question was a lot bigger than how do I know if I'm going to go to heaven when I die? That question really meant, what does the life look like that is pleasing to God? Jesus, I think, rightly sensed that a religious expert must have had some sort of ulterior motive for asking a question that was so basic and foundational that he turns the question back around on him. He does a great, maybe Chelsea does this if you ever come and talk to her. What do you think, he says? How do you read the law? I do that all the time. Uh, the expert answers by saying, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, this is right. Do this and you will live. But after this initial back and forth is out of the way, the teacher of the law gets to his real motivation for asking this question. He says, but who is my neighbor? It's a question that might sound legitimate on the surface, but the Bible lets us in on the religious leader's motivation. And I love the way that it's put in the message translation of the Bible. It says that he was looking for a loophole. What an insightful and accurate description of the human condition. The struggle that we have is not 
most often at least, is not with knowing what is right, but it's with doing it. To justify ourselves, we are constantly on the look for loopholes. The search for loopholes begins at an incredibly young age. I've got two young children you saw in the picture there. And if you've ever spent time with children, especially when they're playing with each other on the playground, you will notice that any game they play, no matter how simple, will suddenly have an incredible amount of loopholes. Watch some kids play tag, and you will see invariably it happens every time you watch a kid get tagged, and they'll have a reason why that doesn't count. Well, I was out of bounds, they'll say, or I called timeout, or I was just it, and you can't tag back. All these loopholes come out. And it's funny, and it's innocent when it comes to children, but regrettably, that same type of behavior is put into practice by all of us in less innocent ways. How many times have you heard loopholes and excuses come out when it comes time to thinking about who is worthy of our compassion? Those refugees don't need our help. Look at them. They have cell phones. Or those refugees don't need our help. They're Muslims. What if they come to Canada and don't fit into our culture? Or what if they reject our culture? Or God forbid, what if they're extremists? Or we don't need to help those refugees because our country can't afford the burden. And the loophole thinking extends beyond refugees as well. Those food bank clients look able-bodied to me. Why are they getting a handout? That homeless person probably has an addiction and anything I do is just going to be squandered anyway. Or why should I help this other person? When I was in that situation, no one helped me. The list of excuses and justification can go on and on. And our ability to delude ourselves into thinking that we can get away without caring is what leads Jesus to tell this story of the Good Samaritan. In contrast to our natural disposition to look for loopholes, the story of the Good Samaritan speaks in a definitive and downright shocking way that loving your neighbor means caring for any other human being in need. Full stop. Issues of merit, character, friendship are irrelevant in this matter. And Jesus gets his point across by introducing us to a Samaritan as the hero. If you're not familiar with Samaritans, they were people who lived in close proximity to the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and they were despised. If you were hearing the story about a man traveling down the road and getting robbed, you would expect that it would be the priest who would be the hero. But we are told that he passes by on the other side of the road. And the same thing for the Levite, who was a special helper in the temple, off he goes on the other side of the road, not breaking stride. It's the Samaritan who is moved by compassion and who stops and treats the wounds of the suffering one, picks him up and carries him to an inn and foots the bill. If anyone in the story had perhaps a legitimate loophole, it would have been the Samaritan. This was his enemy after all. He owed him nothing. Uh, It's sometimes interesting to think about what modern-day Good Samaritans might look like. As I was thinking about what might shock us today, I was thinking about the idea you may have heard in the news about the burkini ban in France, and that's the Muslim women who wear the full wetsuit with a head covering over top, and it's been banned in France. And so I thought about the image of a French woman in her burkini at the beach helping a French person, French man, maybe a parliamentary person 
I thought about the idea of an African-American in Missouri helping a wounded police officer. Jesus was so, certainly no stranger to using the dramatic and the jarring to get our attention. And I believe that Jesus does the same thing today through scripture, through his spirit, even through the things that we read on social media or the news. Jesus is continually calling us to see real human faces in the least of these, in the marginalized and in every human cry that is calling out for help. The refugee project for me and the one that our communities have worked on is an example, I believe, of God awakening us to the need of a neighbor. A year ago, it was relatively easy, at least for me, to ignore or at least not even have it in my mind at all about the plight of refugees in this world. The odd statistic may have been around, like how the refugee crisis that exists today is the worst one that the world has ever experienced since the end of World War II. Or, you know, I may have, I probably caught the odd story about the scads of people who were trying to get into Europe from Syria But on a day-to-day basis, refugees weren't something that was front and center. For me, like many others, it took this photo to really bring the plight of refugees home for me. This picture, of course, was viral on social media. It was picked up on every news channel in the country. And it landed in the hearts and minds of Canadian people and and Canadian followers of Jesus. Everyone who's, I think, responded to the refugee crisis, whether it's someone locally here in Nanaimo or any other person in uh, Canada who's gotten involved in sponsorship will have their own story of what made refugees important to them. For me, it was this picture, but it was this picture in contrast to another one. This picture was taken just a few weeks before that Alan Curdy photo that you saw a moment ago. Alan Curdy, of course, was a young Syrian boy who lost his life trying to escape from his country. Uh, my child, Evie, and Alan are less than a year apart, or would be a less than a year apart in age. And uh, my girl has grown up uh, lacking nothing. Uh, every year she gets to go to a family cabin on the shoe swap. And the water for her is a place of fun and relatively safe adventure. Alan Curdy, on the other hand, went out onto the water in spite of its fierce storms, in spite of having a less than seaworthy boat, and in spite of having to rely on smugglers. For him and for his family, the water, in spite of all these dangers, was still something that was faced. Why? Because it was still a better alternative than remaining home. At that moment, when these images collided in my mind and in the mind of my family, it dawned on us that there was fundamentally no difference between my child and that child, that there was no difference between me and that heartbroken father. History has unfolded in such a way that I happen to have been born in a place that grants me freedom and a place where I can live, live in relative luxury, but it could have easily, just as easily have unfolded differently. And for that reason, I felt compelled to help. In the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of other tragedies, the voice of God calls out to us, asking us to take action, to to rise up and be a neighbor. He asks us to stop walking down that path. He asks us to not look away, but to instead look in the eyes of the person who is suffering. 
And when we look into the eyes of someone who is suffering, we see a human face looking us back and we are moved by compassion. And although our communities can't change a global crisis, our faithfulness can make a profound impact on people. And we have made a profound impact on the lives of Fatima, Jamila, and Gila and Kika. They get to go to bed today with full tummies. They go to go to bed today with a roof over their house in warmth and in safety. For them, for these children, as they grow up, we can take them to swimming lessons. The water can be a place of fun and not a place that represents the last resort. This is what it means, I think, to be a neighbor. Now, while it is essential for us as followers of Jesus to understand that every human being is our neighbor, we must also understand that as individual people and as individual churches, we cannot help everyone. The pain is too big in the world for the churches of Nanaimo. It's too big for you and it's too big for me. We must ultimately remember that it is God's job to bring his kingdom and to renew his world. Our job is simply to participate with him in the areas that he has called us to work in. And so when it comes to helping our neighbor, we must discern who we are called to help. We'll consider how we go about discerning our call in a moment, but before we do, I think we need a bit of a disclaimer. The fact that we have specific callings as individuals and as communities is never intended to be used as an excuse to justify complacency or inactivity. We are, after all, loophole people, as we've discovered. And so if we ever find ourselves excusing a lack of activity or excusing a lack of compassion for a particular people group, we must ask ourselves very seriously whether or not we are looking for a loophole. The point of thinking about our calling isn't about being satisfied with doing too little. The point of thinking about our calling is to help us from taking on too much. So when it comes to figuring out our calling, what do we do? Well, I think the imagery of our story is again helpful here. The theme of being a neighbor is what it's at mind in this Good Samaritan story. And you will notice that the Samaritan, the hero in our story, doesn't go out looking for someone to help, but rather he responds to the need that he actually comes across, the need that he discovers on life's path. This, I believe, provides us with a great principle for how we are to discover who we are being called to help. Who is on our pathway who is hurting? What gifts has God given us as people living in Nanaimo in 2016 that allow us to make a difference in the lives of people who are hurting? What are the, what is the identity of our community? What are some of the groups that exist within our city who are in need of help? And what passions has God given us? Passions are something that can allow us to sustain the kind of help that is required for the long haul. Well, I'm sure there's things that come to mind for you as you think about these things. The answers are, of course, numerous and they will differ from person to person. But there are a few that jump to my mind that I would like to share this morning. I think about the presence of poverty in our community. I think about the rise of the so-called working poor. And it, that creates 
a need for things like community outreach groups, like loaves and fishes, and like other groups that supply basic necessities to people living in poverty. The prevalence of addiction within our culture today and the presence of Edgewood, a large private treatment center in town, means that I think there's an opportunity for addiction outreach or assistance for those who are trying to live a life of recovery. The checkered past of treatment of Christians towards First Nations, I think, creates an opportunity for work towards reconciliation. And, of course, living as Christians in one of the wealthiest countries of the world, living in a country that has human rights and that has programs that allow us to help, I believe, uniquely situates us to be of assistance towards refugees. Now, when it comes to refugees, the government of Canada still sees the church as being leaders and as being a moral authority. And that's a rare thing in the world today. And I think it's wise for us to not squander that. And when it comes to helping refugees, there's also a multitude of ways to get involved. Did you know that only 1% of refugees who find their way into a United Nations camp ever experience resettlement in a Western country? So 99% of refugees who make it out of their country will continue to live indefinitely in UN camps. These camps are in desperate need of resources like food, educational supplies, volunteers. A donation to something like the Canadian Food Grains Bank can go a long way to improving the lives of refugees. As Christians and as people who are a part of a sponsorship group, I believe that one of the things that some people may be called to is advocacy. Advocacy for more just practices in our refugee programs. Currently, there is a gross imbalance between how refugees from Africa are treated versus the rest of the world. African visa offices are given tiny, minuscule quotas of the amount of refugee sponsorships they're allowed to approve per year. Refugee sponsorships in Africa can often take far longer than five years, sometimes measured in decades. There's people living in refugee camps in Africa who are my age or older who were born there and who have grown up there and who are continually looking for a place where they can start again, where they can belong and where they can contribute. Often UN camps are located in countries where there is no pathway to citizenship so people or permanent residents, so the people living there can't work where they are staying. Like anything else, there will be elements of refugee work that probably resonates with you, and there'll be aspects of it that probably doesn't. What I hope we can hear this morning, though, is that the work is diverse enough that there is something there for everyone. From donation to advocacy to even volunteering with a family who has come to Canada. Now, the last aspect of loving our neighbor that I want us to consider this morning is the reality that neighborly love comes with a price, but that price is worth it. You'll notice that the Samaritan man makes a sacrifice in our story. Presumably, the Samaritan man was on this path because he had a destination in mind. He had places to go and he had people to see. But when he sees the wounded man, all of that gets cast aside and he responds to the need that is in front of him. There are fewer things more 
cherished by human beings than time and money, but we see that the Samaritan man parts with both of them. Leaving his own plans and his own agenda for the day aside, he helps the hurt man, he foots his bill, and he even follows up, saying, I'll come back and pay any extra costs that are going to be accumulated. Using the example of the refugee project, there has been in this project a fair share of sacrifice. Bringing a family to Canada to resettle is not cheap. And yet the people of Nanaimo, and not just the followers of Jesus, but people in the public have donated incredibly generously to this project. It, of course, takes an incredible amount of time, too. And here's where I'm most grateful for the volunteers of Christ Community Church and my own community. Countless hours have been spent helping our family with English homework, helping them get to and from school, helping them learn Western appliances, especially in the beginning, and taking them to countless medical appointments, and most importantly, investing in forming friendship with them. The work's not always easy. At times, it's downright inconvenient. That's part of what goes along with authentically loving your neighbor. There's a good rule of thumb that I try to keep in mind when it comes to loving your neighbor, and that is that the easier something is and the more convenient that thing is, that you're doing to help, it probably creates more benefit for you than the person that you're trying to help. The hardest things to do are often the most effective and important things to do. And yet, even with this high price in mind, I encourage you this morning to love your neighbor anyway. Love your neighbor anyway because Jesus calls us to, but love your neighbor because the blessing and the gift that we receive from God as a result of doing this makes it worth it. For my family and I, we are fortunate enough that uh, through this work that we've been able to do with this family that we've sponsored here, we've formed an incredible uh, friendship with them. They feel like they are a part of our family. Our kids have a special bond. Fatima I call Yima'anda, which in Afar means my sister. Jamila is Yi'ina, which means my mother. It's worth it. I was speaking to one of the members of the refugee committee this week. And I was saying, what would you want to let, what would you want to tell anybody outside of this project? If you could say one thing about refugee sponsorship, what would you want to say? And uh, she said, it's incredibly hard, but it's incredibly worth it. It's worth it not just because of the relationship that you get to form with the people you're helping, but it's worth it also because of the spiritual blessing that we receive as well. When we love our neighbor, we are expressing our gratitude in a very practical way to God, who has shown us his compassion and his grace and who has made great sacrifice for us. I believe also that in loving our neighbor, God is able to reveal himself to us in a deep and personal way. As I thought about this, I thought about the great musical Les Mis, which in the finale has this awesome line that says, when you love another person, you see the face of God. Well, in many ways, this morning's message is meant to be a celebration. It's a celebration of a successful project that our two communities have come together on. In participating in 
sponsorship of a family from a different religion, from a halfway around the world, we have shown that we believe that any human being is worthy of our help. We haven't taken on the sponsorship, shown an awareness of our calling to respond to a significant global crisis. And we have shown that we are willing and able to love our neighbor in a way that is sacrificial. At the same time as being a celebration, this morning's message is also a challenge. It's a challenge because even as we have been successful in this one area, on this one project, we do remain broken people, people of the loophole. Let us remember the teachings of Jesus about loving our neighbor. Let us remember the good Samaritan and let us put it into practice whenever anybody in need crosses our path. I'd like to close in prayer. I think the worship team is going to do a song of response after that. So please pray with me. Our God, we want to say thank you today, first and foremost, for the incredible gifts in our life. We have uh, so much living in where we do in the time period that we do, and for that we are grateful. I pray that as we uh, express our, our gratitude, I pray that you may help us to love our neighbors as well. Grant us the eyes to see that all people who are in need are people created in your image, and they are people whom you love just as you have loved us. Give us the knowledge of your will, but most importantly, the strength to carry it out. In your name we pray, amen.